0: better for it then too but Jeremiah said I can't and God said you can don't say you can't because I know you can and so you know what then Jeremiah had a whole lot of things to tell people that didn't make him very popular but you know what he was he was a good good prophet of God he even got his name in the Bible right if you get your name in the Bible for a good thing that is good right (laughs) so anyway you guys be on the lookout for something that you can do and say for God and if God asks you to do something you be ready to say yes I can okay all right dear Lord we do thank you for the day you've given us and thank you for all these kids and we thank you for Jeremiah that he was he was willing to go out and and testify for you and to prophesy for you and and lord we need to listen to your word and lord forgive us where we we back up and fail you and we don't want to do it and we don't think we can but lord through you all things are possible and we thank you in jesus name amen
1: All right, while they're getting their candy, I uh, last week I started, uh, you know, because we're all just big kids. How many remember what the sermon was last week? Go ahead. Habits. Habits. What controls you? There you go. You want to send him up here? What controls you? Have? Come on up here. Your habits, good, good habits, bad habits. What controls you? No, I'm just kidding. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right. All right. Um, we got everything going back there, so hopefully it will continue to work. Um, so Luke is uh, going to come and, and um, I was going to say grace us, but he's going to come and minister to us, so uh, be nicer to him. He's got great jokes, right? He got great jokes? All right. He's got jokes. All right. Come on up here.
2: Good morning. This was definitely meant to be this morning because my voice came back. I didn't really have it all day yesterday, but I woke up this morning and there it is. So, yeah, that's right. Where's that joke? I had a joke. I really did. We'll find this thing. Sorry, I had it pulled up for some reason. It went away, but no, I, I ain't starting without this. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, I say it better be a good one. Oh yeah. <clears throat> no, I uh, I programmed this. I allotted five minutes for the laughter to die down, so uh, I'm gonna need you guys to really pad that time for me. Um, if you laugh shorter than that, just keep it going. All right, okay, <clears throat> so an elderly man in Phoenix calls his son in New York and says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. Forty-five years of misery is enough. Pop says, what, Pop, what are you talking about? The son screams. We can't stay on the side of each other any longer. The old man says, We're sick of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this, so you can call your sister in Chicago and tell her, and he hangs up. Frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone. Has anybody heard this one yet? (laughs) Laugh anyway. Okay. So, frantic, he calls his sister who explodes on the phone. They're not getting divorced if I have anything to say about it, she shouts. I'll take care of this. So she calls uh, her dad immediately and screams at the old man, you are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? And she hangs up. The old man hangs up the phone and turns to his wife and says, okay, they're coming for Thanksgiving. Now what do we do for Christmas? (laughs) Got him. All right. Four more minutes of laughter. All right. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start by taking a moment to go in prayer to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here today, and thank you for blessing me with a voice, and um, blessing us with uh, healthy bodies that we could be here today, or at least reasonably healthy bodies that we could be here today, and um, God, I ask that you would just inspire me as I speak, and let the words that come out be the words that you would have us to hear, and help us all to receive these words, and grow closer to you through them um bless us as we go throughout this day and just bless the rest of the service we love and praise you in Jesus name amen okay um we're first going to turn to first Corinthians 13 and it's going to be verses 4 through 7 and when we get those up I'll just make sure we're in sync here I've been a little out of sorts the last few days so I'm going to give it an entirely possible that I wrote down some numbers not exactly right Yeah, that's close enough. All right. (laughs) So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 starts, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I mean, if you guys are reading that, I'm hoping that's close enough that you're not confused by what I just said. So um, people have heard that verse before here, right? I'm assuming most of us at least once have heard those verses. Why would you maybe have heard them once if you never even read the Bible? Because they show up in weddings all the time. People give wedding ceremonies, you hear that a lot. But for those of you who have read it in that portion of the Bible, who, who noticed that it's in 1 Corinthians and not first getting married? This is the stuff you have to say when you're getting married. There's a reason for that. Uh, one, that's not a very good title for a chapter or a book. It's uh, kind of clunky, and I feel like they should probably fix that. But um, beyond that, that's because it's not geared specifically for marriage. It's used a lot because it does really highlight marriage pretty well. But... Um, when Paul was writing that, he was not writing that to say, here's what husbands and wives have to do. So, who is it for? Um, We're going to look at a few categories of people that you're going to need to have these rules applied to. We'll go ahead and start with weddings, though. So, um, we're also going to go ahead and go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 33. And this is going to help highlight a little bit The first category in your marriage, um, where this description of how to treat others, how to love, is going to come into play. Ephesians 5, verse 25. I'm actually just going to read it from up here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I read all that. I mostly want you guys to pick out the last part of the last sentence there. Uh, Really focus on that. Wife see that she respects her husband, okay? Y'all got that, right? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, nah, okay, maybe there's a reason I did a little more reading than all that. So, to boil it down, men are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to love their wives as themselves. We get special instruction on that because maybe, you know, men are not perfect. Maybe we fall a little bit short in that uh, on a regular basis, and we need a reminder to help keep us guided in the right direction on this and that's also why women get that little bit on there to respect your husbands because you know all right maybe 100% of the time you guys don't respect the husband that much just saying but anyway look we're talking about men loving their wives and you got to do it as Christ loved the church what does that mean do it in the way that Christ loved the church well how did Christ love the church he devoted his entire life to the church being the people that walked with him. He spent day in and day out bringing people to him and setting people up to be the best that they could possibly be. And then in the end, he died for the church for us so that we could be saved. He gave his life for it. So for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church, means dedicating your life to her the way that Jesus dedicated his life to raising people up and ultimately to die for her hopefully nobody really makes you do that but should this situation come up that's the expectation for us and I notice marriage is not doing so well these days if you look around We're in some hard times. Uh, Marriage rates are significantly lower success and way higher in divorce. Why is that? Well, Satan's got a really good way of getting his grip on people these days. We've got the internet. There's all kinds of things out there. There's television. You watch stuff on television now that's programming you to see things in a worldly, worldly way. You don't even realize it as it's sinking in. And this happens little by little over such a long time, that now the world is completely transformed from this way that we know Christ wants us to live. But you don't even really think twice about it. It just, well, that's just what people do. Um, moving in together and sleeping together and all this before marriage is specifically said in the Bible not to do that. And as I'm saying that, a lot of people are going to be like, well everybody does it, or, well, I like to do it, but the reason that you've gotten to this point is because you've basically been brainwashed. If you did not have media or friends surrounding you telling you that this was okay and acceptable to do, you wouldn't think that it was okay or acceptable to do. If you were surrounded by people saying, you don't want to do this because it's going to hurt you. It's going to damage you. You're you're going to have, you want to get married. You want to have a love of your life. Everybody does. This is going to damage your ability to make that happen. We're trying to look out for you. Don't get programmed the wrong way. Recognize what Christ wants for you. And I'm sorry, stepping on toes. I'm not, (laughs) we got more of the sermon for uh, where my heart is coming from for you on this. But I'm just saying that, Marriage as an institution is failing because a lot of people don't recognize what God's will for you is. And men, once you're in this marriage, things start falling apart because men don't want to dedicate themselves to their marriage. They want to still be about them. And women don't want to respect either, but okay, all right, it's easy for me to jump on that one. (laughs) It's okay, women, I forgive you. But uh, for men, you wanna still live like a single man. You still wanna do the things that you wanna do. And I'm not saying that you can't do things that you enjoy, but just understand that anything that gets between you and your wife means that you're doing the wrong thing. You're gonna have to figure something out because you are to love the way Christ loved the church. And Jesus did not decide that he liked poker night so much that he put the church on hold. He didn't decide that he liked going out with the boys so much that the leper didn't need healed that day. You can't let things get between you and your spouse. And men have really dropped the ball in holding marriage together. Why do you think women don't respect us? We haven't held up our end of the bargain. You've got to be a man. You've got to be there for the woman. And I know in today's world, women are supposed to be strong and independent and men are supposed to be able to listen and you go girl. And there's nothing wrong with smart women. There's nothing wrong with strong women. But the role that we are to play as men is to give ourselves for the woman. That's what we are to do. And when we step outside of that, bad things start to happen. And you can say I'm full of it, but look at those marriage rates. I'm just, mathematically, it's pretty obvious. So, obviously we're to love our spouse. That's a gimme. I mean, if you don't love your spouse, marriage ain't going to work, obviously. Your heart's not going to be in the right place. Everybody knows you're supposed to at least love your spouse, although fewer and fewer people are doing that. A lot of people are just really sexually attracted to somebody that they like to get married to and then, you know, once that runs its course, people are on their way, unfortunately. But, love your spouse. Next, who else are we to love? We're going to look at Mark 12.30. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. God gave us two commandments there. I don't think I had you pull up 31, but if you could also get that one ready, sorry. Um, We'll do the next one. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay? So the people following around God, especially the Pharisees, are trying to trap Jesus and get him to say something that they can call him uh, uh, a... I'm trying to think of the word now, whatever, a blasphemer. They're trying to get him executed is what it is. So they're trying to ask trick questions like which commandment is the greatest. So that way he can give an answer and they can see, ah, that's blasphemy and here's why. But what Jesus does is he kind of steps out of that answer and does not give one that specifically. He gave two points that summarize all of the commandments. And the first one is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So, you are to love God. What does loving God look like? Well, it looks a bit like that model for the spouse that we are mostly aware of. You're to dedicate your life. You're to dedicate your time. And if you're not spending time and energy and focus on this relationship with God, you're not going to be... In the place that you're supposed to be spiritually and mentally. It's going to set you up for a lot of failure on other fronts. You may have some trouble focusing on God. As I'm describing this to you, you're like, oh man, I got to spend time. Um, you're at church today. Isn't that enough time? No. Is one day for a couple hours enough time to focus on your marriage? You think the rest of the week's gonna go well if you only spend a couple hours with your wife and then on about your week and don't spend any time talking or um, building any sort of bond, it ain't gonna work. It's a nonstop effort. You need to be dedicated to something that is structured. So yes, come to church. There's a lot of reasons to come to church. And yeah, there's people watching online and that's fine if that's what you can do. There's still reasons to show up to church in person. I recommend you do it. Highly encourage you to, to come and be among other believers. It's biblical. But besides that, there is something to ceremony that helps you to get your focus. Um, things that aren't pro- necessarily like productive in and of themselves, but the fact that you spend the time dedicated to it gives you the focus. So coming to church every Sunday is a way for you to force yourself to snap out of your regular routine and set aside time to think about God. It's a way to redirect your focus because otherwise it's easy to get wrapped up on other things. And marriage is the same way too. It is a good idea, and we have fallen way short on this, me and Christina, but it is a good idea to set up, even once you're married, at least a regular occurring time that you're going to go on a date Um, if it's once a month if it's once every other week something like that it just makes a time that you are focused on that relationship Um, so that's just one extra benefit to coming to church it's like going on a date but um, it's there's more to it than that there's prayer there's your service um, when you're dealing with people out there, you are to show others the love of God. You're supposed to let others see God through you as his workers. That is your dedication to God. If you're not doing that, if you're not letting others see God through you, and I'm also talking to myself here, if people are not seeing God in your actions, then it is entirely possible that your relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be oozing out of you. I have also uh, had this conversation with some people, and it's, it's been a thought that's occurred to me before. Um, like, for example, when we go to heaven, it says that we are going to spend eternity worshiping. And so you think about that. Like, um, you know, let's say you pray at night. You're down on your knees you're saying your prayers, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes focus to be dedicated to the prayer. And then you get up and your knees kind of hurt, and your back kind of hurts a little bit. And you hear, well, for me, because I'm starting to get older, for the kids, maybe that part's not so bad. But I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it gets rough on the knees in the back, singing, standing and singing or, or sitting and praying. But the idea of spending eternity worshiping, you hear that and you're like, oh, man. Ooh, that actually sounds kind of rough. First of all, your body's going to be perfected, so you don't have the problem of having to stay focused, and you don't have that drain on your attention, and you don't have that physical difficulty. But I will say that if the idea of service to God makes you think that that's going to be like a a hard time or, you know, difficult or unenjoyable, I would suggest that maybe you need to work on your relationship with God. It seems that you've got a misunderstanding of your part of the relationship or you've got a misunderstanding of who God is. Because you think about it, let's say you've got a spouse that you love. Hopefully uh, a lot of us here have spouses that we love. The idea of doing something for them that makes them smile, that makes them happy. You say, go do this nice thing for your spouse. Does that make you think, oh my gosh, that's going to be a pain. Or does it make you think, oh yeah, I can't wait to make him happy. This is going to be fun. I'm going to like this. Usually it's going to be something you enjoy because you enjoy making your spouse happy. When it comes to God, the idea of doing something to please God, does it sound like a drain? Does it sound unenjoyable? And if so, let's think about why. It's because you're not looking at it the same way. You're not looking at God as a person that you love. And he's more than a person, of course, but If you love God, it should bring you joy to do things for God. So think about that. Focus on that if you're having this issue like, man, coming to church is a real drag. I don't like getting up early. I want to go on Wednesday too. Come on, I spent all my time. You should find it enjoyable, and if you don't, think about that. Now, that said, in a marriage, there's also going to be times that you're going to be doing things you don't want to do. And in your walk with God, there's times you're going to be doing things that you don't want to do. And love means doing things that you don't want to do because of how much you care about the other. Um, So, some acts of service you're not going to enjoy, but you need to do them anyway because that's how you demonstrate love and not just like. Um, We read uh, two verses there. The second one is that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So, you think about your neighbor. I got neighbors I like. It's not hard to love somebody that you like um, because there's a difference between love and like. You can like somebody and not love them and you can love somebody and not like them, which we're gonna talk about a little bit more. Um, So let's say that neighbor is somebody that you don't like very much. Uh, There's a verse, Matthew 5, starting in 43 here. We're gonna go 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Does not even the tax collector do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay. So you love your neighbor. That's just like anybody. They don't have to live next door to you. But also the people who live next door to you. You need to show this love to people in general. But we got a step further here. If you want to know... One difference between Christianity and a lot of the other religions people are like what well, makes Christianity special well here's something that makes Christianity special not too many other religions that I can think of off the top of my head are saying the people that are against you treat them well help them protect them show them love Christianity is pretty unique in that one. Um, What does love mean? Love's patient. So your neighbors and your enemies alike, are you patient? Think about the people who irritate you on a daily basis. I've definitely got some. In my line of work, I definitely have enemies. There are people that hate my guts before they even see my face. There are people who have expressed that to my face. There are some people who have tried to physically hurt me. But I can tell you that there is very few things in life that make me happier than when I see somebody who has gone through terrible times, even lashed out at me for the things that are going on in their lives, and then you see them later and it's turned around. To see somebody doing well after they've failed for so long, it feels amazing. And, I mean, this is just my personal testimony to you, but there have been people who have gone to church here, several, not just one, several people who have gone to church here that I personally have put in jail before. There have been people that have come here that I have seen in some terrible, low moments. But when I see them here, I'm not thinking, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I'm not thinking, I don't want that trash around here. I am so happy to see that they are making the step. It makes me so happy to see people here that I've seen while I'm working. Because it just shows that God works for us all. Nobody's beyond Him. Nobody's beyond the hope that God has for us. And uh, I just, I love it every time I see it. Anybody who's watching that maybe I put in jail before, please come to church. I'll be happy to see you. Um, So when it comes to your enemies, you're supposed to show them patience and kindness. Love does not envy. You may recall that. How envious are you? How often do you look at the people around you and think, why do they got it? I don't have that. Why do they have it? That's not love if you're looking at what others have instead of being happy for them for having things. And uh, you know, I hear a lot about like the 1%, people talk about the 1% a lot, the top 1% of money holders in the United States and I think a lot of that is envy. Are there people who do criminal things to get money? Yes, is that wrong? Yes, should it be stopped? Absolutely, but for anybody who is not seeing criminal activity, anybody who's just seeing a large pile of money and being like, why do they got money? All you're doing is just letting hate start to fester inside you. And it builds up until you're doing hateful things that God does not want for you. God wants you to show love. And the more that you show love, the more that you're going to be filled with love. Don't worry about what other people have. Focus on yourself. Love does not boast. I mean, I'm like the best at not boasting. So, <laughs> as far as humility, I am the most humble. Uh, it is not proud. How many of us have let pride get in between us and somebody else, any sort of relationship? Pride's a killer. A lot of us struggle with it, especially when you're wrong. How hard is it to say, I'm sorry? Ugh. But it's what you're to do in love. And the more that you go through with the hard stuff, like saying you're sorry when you're wrong, the more you're going to feel love. You're gonna be filled with it. It does not dishonor others. It, does not, it is not self-seeking. So it boosts others up, not boosting yourself up. I know I've spent a lot of time in a lot of workplaces, like all of them. I don't think I've ever worked someplace that this wasn't at least some sort of problem, some worse than others. But what do people like to do? They like to build themselves up by ripping other people down. And that goes in circles until absolutely everybody hates coming to work and nobody wants to do anything and nobody's willing to listen to supervision because they don't respect you and they don't respect the people that they're with and every second is miserable unless you put a stop to it. If you've got a workplace like that, God knows I have, they need you to be the one that brings God into that situation. You have to stop that cycle. You have to show love. Don't tear others down. When you hear people tearing others down, say, I I don't need to hear that. Just stop. Just stop. And maybe they'll still talk trash about you behind your back, but once everybody sees that you're above that, they're going to listen. People listen because you do the same thing. People listen to the trash about you because they know you're talking trash about them. Put a stop to it. And if you don't put a stop to it, You're going to hate your job. Speaking from experience. Um, Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Think of somebody who's done wrong to you. It's real easy to want wrong back for them. An eye for an eye, right? But that's not what God called for you to do. God called for you to show them love, even when they've wronged you. They've done something terrible to you. But it's only going to be a cycle of more terrible. The more you let anger and hate fester in you, and you lash out back at them, which creates more anger and hate, and they'll lash back, and back and forth, and back and forth. Or, even more frustrating, is when you hate somebody, and they don't even know you exist. You are so mad at them for something they did, you're not even a blip on their radar. That's a lot of stress on you for somebody who doesn't even care about you whatsoever. The more that you hold on to things like resentment for somebody, the more that you don't forgive, the more that you think about the horrible things that you want to happen to these other people, the more stress that is on you the more your life is going to fall apart. Forgiveness is not just for the other person. It's for you. For you to forgive others is to let go of this problem that is weighing you down. That's what God wants for you. Uh, Luke 15. I'll just read you the whole thing real quick here. We're doing 11 through 32. I do a lot of verses in big books. That's probably something I'll work out later in time. Like, I don't see a lot of other pastors doing that, but whatever, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them went, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. despair and I perish with hunger I will arise and go to my father and will say to him father I have sinned against you against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and he said to him Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Do one more there? All right. So... To sum it up, if you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son, I think they had it um, just recently. Um, Was that Royal Rangers? I think they had it, Jack told me. Uh, He didn't use the word prodigal son, but in so many words. Um, So you've got a guy who is a trust fund kid. He's got rich daddy. And he says, dad, I don't wanna sit around here and work at the family business and waste my time with you squares I want my money. I don't know where the handheld is. So, I'm just going to yell, and then as soon as this thing kicks on, you guys are all going to be deaf. But, uh, oh, there we go. Good job. Way to go, man. So, this boy, he's a trust fund kid. He says, I want my money now. I don't want to sit around here and be bored. I got money and things to spend it on. So, he takes all the money from his dad, and his dad, instead of fighting him and saying, no, I'm not giving you your money. Dad somehow knew that this was something that should be done. Says, all right, fine, here you go. Here's all that you have entitled to you. And the boy goes and he goes to a foreign land and he spends it on all types of things, including harlots, and wastes all of his money. And then, because he spent all of his money, what's he do? He signs up to be a servant to somebody and he's feeding pigs. And he's making so little money that it just gives him like a roof to sleep under. And he can't even afford to eat, so he's eating the food that he's supposed to be giving to the pigs. And then he decides, you know what, I'll probably make a little more if I go back to my dad, because I know his servants are at least getting bread, and here I am eating pig food. So he goes back home to beg for scraps. And as soon as his dad sees him, he runs out to him, and instead of taking him in as a servant, he throws the best clothes on him and they throw a party because he's so happy that his son is back there's a, a few lessons to take away here one that is a, an expression of love that's what god does for us that's what he does for anybody who's out there who's done these terrible things to you that you may be holding on to just know The second that they put that down, God's going to be so happy to take them back. And that's what we need to feel for others, too. There's definitely been people that pushed my buttons before, for sure. But you don't know joy until you've felt somebody who had that animosity for you, and it completely switches in a way that only God can do. You may have to just trust me on that until you experience it for yourself. But, I mean, you're putting up with a lot of agony. You don't have to until you put down hatred that you're feeling for somebody and you get to see them restored. So be ready to throw that robe on somebody who comes walking back up. Don't be ready to kick dirt on them and feed them pods for the pigs. God's designed you to show love to the people who need it. And, I mean, it's just a fantastic experience. Um, I also do want to say, though, you are to show love to people who have wronged you. But this verse, uh, the 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, sometimes it gets misused, especially in today's church. For those of you who maybe were here for my last Monday night service, I talked about letters to the seven churches that it's in Revelation. And um, the last letter, I believe it was allowed to see it. It's a letter to the church talking about how they don't take a stand on anything. They're neither hot nor cold, so God's going to spit them out. And in my opinion... That's a description of today's church. You need to show people love. Be ready to receive them. That does not mean that we accept all behavior. I had mentioned earlier talking about the way that the world will try to convince us that there are things that are normal to do, acceptable to do, maybe not great, but things that the world accepts, so it's okay. The church ain't going to kick you out. We won't kick you out. I mean, some churches might, but I know here we'll accept you. But that does not mean that there isn't right and wrong. And um, you'll notice the the father of the prodigal son. He gave the kid his money, but he didn't go find him in a foreign land. When did he throw the robe on the man, on the kid, when he was coming home? That doesn't mean that we show people hate. That doesn't mean that we see prodigal children who are still out in their revelry spending money on harlots and go out there and kick them and throw swine pods at them. But they're not going to be ready to receive until they're ready to repent. Show them love always. Love your enemies. But there has to be repentance Otherwise, they're not coming back. They're just going to be out there still spending all their money and getting further and further into trouble. Um, As a church these days, we have to take a stand. We have to say what's right and wrong. We have to stand by it. If you don't stand for anything because you don't want to hurt any feelings, there is no point to the church. We're not here for anything. We're letting people commit their their own uh, self-inflicted injuries and not doing anything to stop it. And that's not what love is. Jack used to have a problem of liking to take, uh, I mean, sometimes even his finger, but just toys and try to put them in electric sockets. <laughs> and he pulled it off a couple of times. The boy can really get some good air time. But... Uh, <laughs> We would stop at every chance we got. But the point is, it's not love to let him put things into that socket because he wants to. Yeah, you ask him. I mean at the time he would have said ga. He wouldn't have talked to you, but he wanted to put something into that socket. That's what he wanted. And who are you to tell him that he can't do what he wants to do? Well, I'm somebody who loves him. I'm somebody who cares about him. And I know when he does this thing that he wants to do, it is going to hurt him. Love is making a clear stand that you care enough about somebody that you don't want them to do something that's going to hurt them. And the Bible has clearly laid out what's right and wrong for us. And we go against it as a society, constantly, more and more every day. That's not love. Love is not letting people go down the drain. So, you need to reach out. You need to let people know that you care. You also can't mince words. I hope that makes some sense. But that's exactly what this church needs. Because the love is what sets us apart from all these other religions even atheism, which is basically a religion that says there is no God, but there's still a hierarchy. There's still stringent rules. It's basically just a religion for people who don't want to accept a religion. But what sets us apart is that we love the people that are against us. We want this, we want good things for the people that are against us because that is how you get redemption. They need to be redeemed. That's the way God designed us. But the weakness of this church is also that we just lay over for everything. Don't want to hurt feelings. Don't want to step on toes. Got to find that balance because that is the key to a strong church. We have to be defined. People have to know what we're about. But they also have to know that when they walk in those doors, they're going to get handshakes, hugs, and we're not going to be turning them away. bow our heads lord i thank you for being here among us today and i thank you for being in each of our hearts here that you could take these words and use them to strengthen us to live in your will and to do your will and to be more powerful in our walk that others could see you in us and know your strength and know your glory and to feel that desire to come to you and to come home. To, to step out of these shackles that Satan has thrown on them and is holding them down. And Lord, just help us to be the, the ones that come to free them. Not for our glory, but for yours, Lord. Um, Lord, just keep your spirit on us as, as we're going through this song service here. And for those of us that are here today that have needs, Lord, you know each of them. You know our hearts. We ask that you would act in our lives in a powerful and clear way that you know what's good for us. Lord, just affect us in the way that only you can, knowing what is good for us, knowing that that you love us, and that you would stop our destructive desires. And Lord, just help us to be completed where we're, we're hurting, where we're in pain, where we're suffering loss, where we have hard feelings for others. Lord, just help us all to be lifted up and not be held down by these traps that Satan has set for us. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. Be with us the rest of this day. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody has anything, we're going to have songs playing here. Most of you know the drill. But anybody who's got anything, bring it up here to this altar so you can lay it down. Okay? And we'll be ready to come up here and pray with you. That's part of what church is for. We're, We're your brotherhood or sisterhood, and we're here for you.